Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 249. Recorded October 8th, 2016. Guaranteed, I say guaranteed to be finger licking good. Oh, yes. Yeah, so today we're covering Legion of Superheroes and Star Trek crossover issues four through six. Yep. Lots of spills and thrills going on at the back end of this uh, uh, story arc. And a big review. Yes. Very interesting. I, it had more special guest stars than I expected. Right. Yeah, my only thing is that I wish they, you know, like they did with certain other characters, since mm-hmm. this is an uh, amalgam of the two universes. Right. I kind of would have liked for the big reveal character, the you know, basically the catalyst of all this happening. I wish it was more of an amalgam of a DC and a Marvel character. Oh, ooh, that's bad. A DC and a Star Trek character uh, <laughs> combined. Right. As opposed to just being from one specific universe. So, anyways, we'll, we'll talk about it later. I just... Uh, Okay. We'll keep that, that in was mind. Just I wish they would have would have would have addressed a little bit right. better. Okay. But anyways, I thought uh, I think the I think these three issues are good. So in case you're listening and you're realizing that you know last issue we last episode we said we might have a guest star uh, that did not uh, pan out. So you're just stuck with Ken and I. That's right. Chris couldn't make it, but I'm sure we'll have him on at some future point. Sure. All right. Well, that being said, uh, shall I just jump into issue number four? Please do. All right. So uh, issue four of Star Trek Legion of Superheroes came out January of 2012. The writer is Chris Robertson. Pencils by Jeffrey Moy. Inker Philip Moy. Colors by Rumelo Fajardo Jr. Letters by Sean Lee. And editor is Chris Rial. As always, there's several covers. So cover A shows uh, various Legionnaires flying in space in front of the Enterprise, a space station, and several very unique Federation-type starships. Cover B shows Kirk in the foreground with his phaser drawn. Behind him and to each side of him, we see five of the Legionnaires from the main story, so only Brainiac is missing. Uh, And behind the Legionnaires, we see Spock and McCoy. And finally, there is the Enterprise behind all of them. Cover R.I. shows McCoy and Saturn Girl standing on a Federation-looking bridge. Uh, And outside of the view screen, we can see like uh, the warp lines of stars streaming by. So the story starts on Earth. The uh, Terran Empire's ruler is being told of the recent appearances of some time travelers. The Emperor, who we now finally get to see after four issues, we can see that he's a human-looking male with a black goatee and black hair. He says that there is a mysterious he that did not warn them this time of the time travelers and that 
he always has done so in the past. So who is this he and who is this emperor? We don't know yet. Within the time stream, Brainiac 5 is piloting a time bubble along with Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, Chekhov McCoy, and Spock. Spock and Brainiac talk about how they will arrive at the beginning of the time distortions. McCoy and Saturn Girl talk about the dangers and moral implications of mind reading. And Chekhov brags the Cosmic Boy about how the Russians invented anything and everything. To this, Cosmic Boy is quite surprised on how different their two timelines really are when it comes to Russian accomplishments. Soon the time bubble emerges back into real space and, as seems to always happen in this story, crashes. The group soon finds themselves surrounded by cavemen and various prehistoric-looking animals, all wearing cybernetic headgear and collars. Back in the 23rd century, Kirk, Lightning Lad, Sulu, Ahura, Shadowlass, and Chameleon Boy knock out some guards that were escorting a Dementor. They all change into the guards' outfits, and Chameleon Boy morphs into the shape of the Dementor. They use these disguises to sneak into the Imperial Palace. While the two groups in two different timelines are making their way through armies of cavemen or various Imperial patrols, they both make it to the various leaders of their timeline at the same time. Both groups seem to recognize the man that they're presented with. The full-bearded caveman and the goateed emperor look very close to be perhaps maybe the same person. Brainiac identifies the caveman as Vandal Savage, while Kirk identifies the emperor as Flint. The two leaders tell the different groups that he goes by many names and that his real name is Vander the Stone and no one will oppose him. A shadowy form behind the long-lived leader says to himself, that's what you think. To be continued. Now the first time I ran through this, that shadowy person in the background, I really didn't quite focus in on that. I was more dealing with the whole Flint and uh, Vandal Savage thing. Right. So it was on going back and looking at it again and then reading some of the later books. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. There was somebody at the end of that when I came back to it. And indeed, uh, there that person was. And that's a very important person. Don't know who it is at this point, but that's a really important person. Right. We saw we saw him at the very beginning, right? The, the, didn't they show him... Wasn't there like a little throwaway scene with a I think there was. shadowy guy with glowing eyeballs? Right. So uh, this is that guy again. Yeah. Plus the emperor was saying, oh, how can these time travelers be here? You know, he didn't tell us anything about it. Right. So, so is this the mysterious he? We don't know yet. I believe it is. Mm. As we may find out soon. But really important character. So – uh, they, right. they, 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 the only thing is they artificially keep him in the shadows for a long time until they make the big reveal, as we'll see in the future. Right. And quite a reveal it is. So is he a Star Trek character? A DC character? Is he? Who is he? You just you don't know yet. We don't know yet, but he's important. So let's get to what we do know. Big reveal in this issue. Vandal Savage. Flint. Vandal Savage is Flint. Exactly. Big reveal. Now, the way they've drawn him in the comic book, he does look like Vandal Savage, especially in the um, 
in the you know with these caveman guy, right? I think. Well, and also the goatee and stuff. So um, right, the the only time we've ever seen Flint in in Star Trek lore is uh, Requiem for Methuselah, mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. three yep. episode of the original series, and in there he looked like uh, an older gentleman, yep. gray hair, no no facial hair, right, and uh, almost looked like a Roman senator type look. I thought. Yeah, with the outfit and everything. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, recognizing him as Vandal Savage, thumbs up there. Uh, he, he almost even looks like the guy they got playing him on uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow a little right. bit. But as far as it looking like Flint, it's like, I did not pick up on that by his current <laughs> look at all. Kirk recognized him, so that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Right, I would not have. Uh, I mean, even the outfit and stuff is nothing like what Flint wore. So, no. why would Kirk recognize him? I don't know. I don't know either. But, but a lot of times, Kirk doesn't quite look like Shatner either. So we'll just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> or it looks a little bit more like Pine. Yeah. Right. No, I thought it was fantastic. I, I love the idea of combining these two characters that uh, that they both have lived thousands and thousands of years. I don't think they ever gave an explanation as to why Flint was immortal. Um, just uh, they just said that somehow the source of his immortality was Earth. And, oh, that's right. And that uh, he's been around since, uh, well, I guess caveman times. Although I don't remember them mentioning caveman times in the episode. I think. No, the f- yeah. And I went back and watched it uh, yeah. last night just because I wanted a, a refresher on Flint. Right. Uh, no, he says that he was born in uh, Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Okay. So he he would be several thousand, maybe millions of years younger than uh, Vandal Savage. Because Vandal Savage is supposed to be during the Ice Age. He was a caveman that found a, a meteor that, that uh, oh, right to the Earth. And right. Then, you know, he was cold, right? Right. So he kind of cuddles up against this meteor, and the meteor then gave him superpowers, which is different origin than what we get in the the CW Legends of Tomorrow. C universe, which is he gets his powers, and he was kind of during the uh, Egyptian times, right. right? At the same but time, in the as Hawk books, Girl. He's, he's much younger, much older than that, right? But anyways. Uh, yeah, and also Hawk Girl and Hawk Band, aren't they supposed to be alien in the comic books? Oh man. Of of all the comic book characters, Hawk Band and Hawk Girl have the most convoluted uh, origin because it changes. And then okay. there was, you know, there was a time when they were aliens and there was a time they were humans that had wings and then uh you know, like <laughs> artificial wings. Uh-huh. And then they were humans that were reincarnated versions of you know, these Egyptian characters. And then there was like, no, they're aliens again. And then at one point there was an ongoing Hawkman series going on that was depicting him as an alien from Thandagar. But there was another series like Justice League or whatever that weren't on the same page. So there was a Hawkman in there that was still the human version that was a reincarnated, uh, you know, reincarnated human. And it was like, come on, you DC, you can't, Make sure that you're having the same man at the same time, and then they had to like completely reboot him again. It, it, it he's a very funny uh, backstory as far as what is the true story, right? So, uh, 
But anyways, uh, that's a completely different subject. But okay. here, Vandal Savage, Flint, two completely different type of characters, but yeah. they're both long-lived, and I like that they uh, combine the two. Yeah. Made an amalgam. Yeah, I kind of like that too. Right. So, so go ahead. quick question. Um, I notice for the first time that Vandal Savage has one of those um, submission collars around his neck. Right. Uh, he's got two, like, like saber-toothed tiger teeth uh, attached to it. But that's that's a control collar, I think. Um, well, I just, I just wonder why. Hmm. Maybe that's how he talks. Controls himself. Uh, okay, talks or controls the other people. Yeah, maybe. So they have control, submission collars and control collars. Okay. His, is, okay. his is a microphone and the okay. other ones are a receiver. That must be it. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Plus, it just looks cool. It does look kind of cool. Yeah. Speaking of looking cool, I really liked the uh, guard outfits that the uh, that Kirk and Lightning Lad and them are all wearing when they sneak into the Imperial Palace. Yeah, they look good, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they they remind me a little bit of ba- of um, Babylon Five, but very very cool outfits. Right. Especially Kirk's. I like Kirk's. Although Sulu and the one that Lightning Lad's wearing, that's pretty cool too. But I, I like uh, Kirk's especially. Yeah, I like. I don't like the the shoulder pads on Lightning Lad and Sulu's. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. So you, I just so like we the, agree. I like the collar and I like just the cut of the the tunic and the pants and stuff. It just, I don't know, looks very like militaristic and right. And of course, yet, yet still futuristic kind of thing. Right. Good, and good. and of course. Kirk's tunic actually comes around and uh, is kind of structured, although it's not the right color, uh, kind of like the Wrath of Khan uniforms. Yeah, right. You know how it comes around the front and mm-hmm. and and closes like to the to the right side of your chest. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I like that. That looks good. No, it looks good. Shadowings of the future for Kirk. Oh, maybe this is where he got the idea. He comes back, and he's like, hey, Federation guys. You know, then they start wearing the pajamas from the <laughs> picture. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Hey, by the way, I was in an alternate universe, and we had these really cool jackets. Uh-huh. They're like, all right, well. How about, getting, how about getting that look? There pajama look's not going very well, so we'll change it. Exactly. And because we want to be a really good target every time we go on an away mission, can you make them all red? <laughs> make them all red. Nice. okay there's uh, some jokes going on between Chekhov and Cosmic Boy where Chekhov rattles off three things as being invented by Russians and Cosmic Boy says their timelines must be more divergent than he thought yeah that That, was was a good joke (laughs) oh that was the favorite part of the book Uh, yeah (laughs) it was was a highlight for sure yeah yeah that was a good joke uh, how do you like how do you like uh, Kirk hitting on Shadow Lass? Yeah, that was weird. It was a little ooky. <laughs> I don't know about ooky, but well, a little ooky. I don't know. You're, you're don't... in the you're in the middle of a dangerous mission, and as you're changing into these outfits, you take a little look of the uh, blue skinned lovely, and uh, you start hitting on her. It's like not the right time. Right. Well. Given that I just watched Requiem for Methuselah, um, mm-hmm. that also was very odd because, you know, um, Flint introduces his, you know, companion. And immediately Kirk 
and Spock and McCoy just start like, Ooh, it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all three of them. And then I was like, and, and because I hadn't seen that episode in so long, I was like, oh, maybe she has some sort of like power over men and stuff. Right. And that's, that's where they're going. And then, you know, Kirk basically puts the whole mission because the, the, if you don't remember, the Enterprise has a fever, right? They have this illness that they need this plant. Right, talent or, or something. Uh, and he's putting the whole thing at risk so that he can keep hitting on this woman. And then he tries to get her to go away with him because he loves her so much. And it's just like, wow, where did all this come from? You, you really fall in love with her fast and you're, you're going to risk everybody's life in order exactly. to get her. I, it didn't make sense. I was really like, I was just scratching my head. I was like, this is not Kirk like behavior. No, I mean, yes, he wants to get with the girl, but you know, risking everybody and everything for her, that just didn't seem right. No. Typical third season. Yeah, you always talk bad about the third season, and that was like the uh, 21st episode of the third season, so almost towards the end. And uh, I don't know, maybe they just weren't trying as hard or, or what was going on, but it was – it's up there as far as like the uh, the one where Kirk – Kirk switches bodies with that woman. Oh, oh, that's the last <laughs> episode, wasn't last it? Last episode, right? Uh, as far as just like out of character, everybody's arg. out of character. Yeah. Anywho, uh, back to this one. So yeah, I liked Ahura and her little outfit that uh, is similar to Shadow Lasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see how she could have really pulled it off because she's not blue skinned So I don't see how they would have thought she was one of the the Shadow people, but. Um, yeah, well, she, you know, she really doesn't do that much. Um, although, you know, nice outfit again, I agree, but... Um, and Sulu doesn't seem to do much either. I mean, at least Chekhov's getting some... He got shot, and he's got a few good jokes. Right. Um, I, I, I don't think they're really utilizing those two that much. Right. Yep, uh, I agree. Uh, it's it's kind of odd. Well, you can't give they, everybody they lines. Play, have a bigger part later. Yeah. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, my last thing, what I was thinking when I was reading this, is that if this was the beginning of the time disturbance, um, it seems like it seems like the cavemen are already pretty well advanced as far as what they're supposed to be. So it doesn't really seem like the beginning. It seems like it's been going on for a while. If if they've already got like you know all this technology, and if Vandal Savage is just a caveman, whenever he finds this mysterious he, mm-hmm. um, where did the technology come from? Who's who's building these devices? Good question. I mean, how would they have the ability to create electronics? Right. I mean, you may have the knowledge. Uh, or being given the knowledge, but how do you come up with the equipment and manufacturing techniques and clean rooms and all the things you need to be doing for something like that? I mean, it's almost like uh, it, all this technology is springing out of thin air. How could that happen? I don't get it. I don't get it either. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they explain it. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right, what else you got for issue number four? I get the feeling they're trying to 
insinuate some kind of a romance or something between Dr. McCoy and Saturn Girl. There's a, a few spots in the book so far, and I think there may be a few spots in the, in the, in the future. And plus, uh, one of the three covers they've got shows oh, right. McCoy and her. And they kind of have looks on the face, like they're kind of looking at each other and kind of smiling. And it's like, okay, interesting. Uh, she's a child, and McCoy's like the oldest person in the book. Um, <laughs> well, not but... older than Vandal. Okay, 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 fine. <laughs> Point well taken. Point well taken. But still, well, it doesn't, right, seem, so... it doesn't seem like a, a good fit. So you're saying you you see these like glances as if there's something there, right? Um, or you could read it, at, and especially because they had the conversation about the issue with mind reading, mm-hmm. maybe she's accidentally picking up on a few stray thoughts that McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe she doesn't mind. I don't know. Or maybe she's just like, hi. Well, because she even says, uh, "Stop thinking so loudly." Yes. So maybe and, he is. Maybe yeah. he's just letting his mind wander, and she's like giving him the look as you're doing it again. <laughs> maybe, maybe creepy but, old man. But come on, I mean, you, I'm sure Kirk is kind of thinking it too. Yeah, but he's not there. <laughs> well, no, not not on the cover, but I'm just saying. And, and I know he's got a thing for blue skin, apparently. Right. But, well, um, still. But I mean, but we're. we're they're split up, right? So the McCoy and Saturn Girl are on one team and Kirk's on the other one. Yeah, so but they were all together before, earlier before they split. That was when they were in crisis mode. Kirk, Kirk was in... <sighs> okay, mode. whatever, whatever. Yes, just sitting around on a time bubble. Minds are wandering. And Lightning Lad's not around to be clingy with Saturn exactly. Girl. Exactly. She's kind of feeling a little bit more room, more, you know... <laughs> a little more room to navigate and, you know, see what's going on. Anyway, exactly. I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, I also like how they're using the phasers a lot. So, um, which is good. I think the phasers are an amazing uh, device. I mean, they're all, it's, it's really the Star Trek team's superpower. And they're well, kind of using it a little bit like that. It, it, you know, kind of like Iron Man's uh, repulsor rays or something. Right, but but these can heat rocks, so <laughs> I bet Iron Man could heat up a rock if he wanted to. Hey, probably, but can he disintegrate people or put them to sleep? Maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, the phasers can't push people away from from them, but still. Uh, anyway, but it, it, they're using the phasers kind of like that, which is good because they need something because they're just normal people, right? So, yeah, and they don't have access to all the other great technology that we see Star Trek have, like the teleporters and things like that. Uh, yeah, because they don't have the ship. So it's really like the only thing we see. Yeah, is the phasers exactly. So, did you see a couple of guest stars there? On um, well, they're not numbered, but uh, when when they're sneaking into the Imperial Palace, did you see a Horta and maybe a Thanagarian? Oh my gosh, you're kidding me! No. Yeah. So, uh, I did not uh, notice a horda. <laughs> yeah, so when they're uh when they're being escorted through and they're in like a a big chain it's on the top page the top of the page they they're just like walking down a hallway and then mm-hmm. you see a horda like walking next to them. This is when Chameleon Boy's still a dementor. Oh, yeah, I see that. I see that. <laughs> I did not notice that at all. And then on the upper upper level there's like 
what could be a Thanagarian looking at, I don't know, some sort of rock-looking sea in a bubble. I don't know what that was supposed to be. Oh, so the Vandegarian is the person, the angel-looking person. The hot, hot girl, yeah, looking girl. Okay. Or it could just be, you know, there's a legionnaire that's also hot girl-looking-ish. Right. So maybe that's supposed to be her, like in this alternate universe. Right. I don't know. But she shouldn't be existing in the 23rd century since she was born in the 31st. So who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But on that same page, they got some great uh, close-ups of the phaser rifles. I like that. I figured you would. Maybe that's why you didn't see the Horda, because you were focused on, ooh, phaser rifles. <laughs> and they look really cool. Anyway. And I really liked how throughout the, the last, basically, quarter of the book, maybe, you know, it'd be one page of the past and how they're getting a little bit further closer to Vandal. And then the next page would be the future and how they're getting a little bit further to Vandal. And then, and then that last page, boom, they both get to him at the same time. And they're both like, could it be, is it him? And then you turn the page and it's this great close up of, or basically half, half, half of each with Vandal on one side and right. Flint on the other. Right. I thought, I loved that. I loved how they, they did it. It was hard for me to, to do it in the synopsis to right. explain that it was jumping from, you know, from page to page and, and they kind of mirrored each other, but it was well done here in the book itself. Right. Oh, it's pretty and it's nicely laid out. All right. Well, you ready to move on and find out who this uh, Vander the Stone is? Master of Earth? Yes. Although I did want to mention one thing. So Flint was supposed to be born in Mesopotamia in 3,834 BC. Uh And I, although I have seen the name uh, or the reference to Methuselah many Uh times in my life, I had no idea what it was. Methuselah. Um, The biblical character? The biblical character. Right. So that was supposed to be like a really long-lived... Uh, right. A human, like like the right. oldest human. How how old was he supposed to be? Uh, I don't know. Really old. Something. Yeah, really old. Yeah. Okay. Nine hundred. That sounds right. Okay. I, I just was fascinated with that. I, I just love when there are references, literary or uh, religious or what have you, old references to things that I've just always seen but never quite knew the details of the origins. So it was kind of interesting going back and just reading a little bit about what uh, Methuselah was all about. Right. And they just throw it at the title, which never in the, in the episode itself do they mention that he ever was Methuselah or anything like that. There's no mention of Methuselah in the whole episode yeah. except for the title. Yeah, it's, it's very poetic. A yeah. lot of the original series had good titles. Yeah. Okay, last thing. So, done. All Let's right. do number five. Okay, so this one uh, is issue number five. February 2012 is published date. I think everybody's probably identical. Chris Murray, you know, I'll just mention that because sometimes they, they switch letterers in and out. But Chris Murray did the lettering for this one. Covers. So cover A presents Kirk as the studly center of a bevy of scantily clad Legion of Superhero Beauties. So I recognize Shadow Lass and Saturn Girl, uh, but then there's like five more super ladies that I don't know who they are really. So that's kind of interesting. They were all arranged around Kirk, 
who is striking a manly pose, holding a never-before-seen and very shiny silver phaser rifle. Though they're not fawning over Kirk, like in a James Bond kind of movie poster, it's obvious that that's the kind of kind of sort of sexual thing they're going for with this cover. Cool cover. Um, cover B presents Kirk, Spock, Uhura, and I assume McCoy standing on floating rocks in an oddly colored space setting. Above them are a legion of superheroes characters floating all around. Uh, they're looking at sometimes in front of them that uh, something that we only see in a partial shadow that kind of looks like the head of Chameleon Boy, which is kind of odd. The art style is a little bit more cartoony and inconsistent with the art style inside the issues, which is not unusual. It's a cover. Cover C presents Sulu and Chameleon Boy standing in that same space station we've seen before, uh, that we've seen in other covers. But this one is definitely using an art style that looks familiar to me. Uh, and maybe we can talk about it later in the comments. But it's, it's, it's a style that I'm not crazy about. And I have not seen this art style used in this series up until this cover. But I do recognize having seen the art style before. The issue opens with a half page of the Emperor's Palace on Earth. Grand and majestic, with signs of power all around it. Standing vigil. The bottom half of the same page shows what the same hunk of earth looked like thousands of years into the past, in the early days of the Empire. Back then, it was mostly open land with a few simple wooden and straw structures. One of the early structures was actually in the ground, a pit where malcontents were kept, rebels and enemies of the early Empire. Today's guests inside of the pit include Spock and Cosmic Boy's team, who are bruised and battered. After unexpectedly meeting Vandal Savage, looking like a primitive caveman, apparently a fight broke out, in which our heroes did not fare well. They have high-tech collars on now, that are inhibiting Cosmic Boy's and the others' superpowers. They're working on a way to get them off, so they can make their escape. McCoy is uncharacteristically upbeat, saying at least they are all in one piece. He is more worried about the others back in the future. If he knows Jim Kirk, they are likely up to their neck in trouble right now. The scene shifts to the future. Kirk and the others are standing around a lavish and very long dinner table. Not hurt at all, and now wearing fancy new duds. Their guests has provided them. Kirk again is making a pass at Shadowlass, and striking out again, for the time being. Kirk changes subjects, and asks how Flint, a man from his world, could be here. Kirk recounts Flint's history, as Flint related it to Kirk when they first met. Kirk points out that when Flint left Earth, he also left the source of his immortality, and began to age at a normal rate. Lightning Lad and Shadowlass tell of the immortal they know as Vandal Savage, who is more cruel and evil a man than this Flint that Kirk has described. They tell of Savage's history to Kirk and his people, a vile history, starting in Cro-Magnon times and progressing through Egyptian times and onward. Over time, Savage learned to wield power from the shadows and always to his evil ends. 
as they try to reconcile the two men, they know from their worlds, with the emperor they are now dealing with, the emperor enters with food servers filing in behind him. It's party time! Or is it perhaps the last meal? Scene shifts to the distant past, where a young primitive girl pops her head over the lattice covering of the pit holding Spock's party. She tells them to stop their yammering as she proceeds to remove the inhibitor collars and release them from the pit with a snap of her fingers. Where have we seen that before? As she leads them to a specific hut while the village people are elsewhere eating a meal, Spock surmises that another intelligence is inhabiting the young girl's body. The obnoxious know-it-all girl tells him he's right. She is not for around these parts. She explains how she's not even from this realm of existence. She came here briefly on an errand to make good on a debt when she came upon Vandar the Stone. How could she have known that this vile and cunning creature possessed the ability to entrap me? Scene shifts to the future, in the Emperor Vandar's grand dining room, where a cat-and-mouse game is playing out. Civil dining conversation between the Emperor and Kirk's companions is taking place. Kirk is trying to figure out the Emperor with probing questions that Vandar seems to be fine with answering. The Emperor explains that his immortality alone could not be the key to building a galactic empire. No, early in his existence he came to control a power greater and of such magnitude that controlling the entire galaxy was inevitable. He trapped this power and used it like a gin in a bottle that Vandar bent to his will. With that power, he was able to control the weak of will and destroy the few strong enough to oppose him. The conquest was glorious and lasted through the millennia until finally the world was his and then he turned to the stars. His forces crushed all opposition, until now he controls half the galaxy. He will continue and eventually control the entire galaxy. Once that is achieved, who knows what further conquests will be made. Kirk and Chameleon Boy say that where they are from, cooperation, not conquest, is how mankind and their alien partners are able to build a future that works for everyone, not just a few. The Emperor walks them to another part of the palace and into the Emperor's trophy room. In it are machines of diverse configurations. Some look like small spaceships, while others have more unique shapes. One looks like an open sled with a large rotating brass disc in the back. Another looks like a DeLorean. Yet another looks like a big black circle with chevrons evenly spaced around its circumference. Yet another is a simple blue box with a red light on top. Emperor Vandar says they all belong to time travelers who eventually gave up their secrets of how the future would unfold. He used that information to avoid making mistakes that could have cost his empire dear. Come, my guests, tell me your secrets. In the distant past, the girl leads Spock's team to a glowing hut. Inside is a sphere with a human shape inside. Brainiac 5 says he is picking up a massive temporal disturbance here. Spock says it's like nothing he has ever encountered before. 
the sassy remote-controlled girl, tells them they had better figure out how to free him from the glowing sphere, or all the effort to bring them here will be for nothing. The girl says she needs to get this girl back to the others before she is missed. She leaves the large hut, and soon afterward a voice comes from the sphere, with the same air of smug superiority as the little girl. The humanoid figure inside the sphere says they need to free him from this prison, and fast. Otherwise, Vandar the Stone will win, and everyone else will lose. And if there's one thing anyone can tell you that knows Q, it's that I don't like to lose. To be continued. That knows who? Hugh? No, not you. Q. Me? No, you? not you. Q. Oh, Q. Q! Our old friend Q. Oh my goodness. But he's a next-gen guy. Why is he in here? Why shouldn't he be here? He could be anywhere. Wow. Alright. Yes, so if anybody can give Vandar the power to control an entire galaxy, perhaps, uh, it would be Q. But I gotta say, and it keeps on bugging me, how the heck could a stone man, a cave guy, and even an immortal one, know how to capture uh, an entity of Q's power? Right. And since, since at this point he is just... He, I mean, he's just Vandal Savage, right? He's not Flint, because Flint's not going to be born for another thousand years or so. Sure, right. So... This is the part where the amalgam of the two characters get a little wishy-washy, uh, yeah. because... Alright, so Q jumps over to the DC universe, right? Just to kind of check up on things, I guess. See how it all started. And uh, he gets caught. And then that then combines the two universes? Or is it that that event plus Brainiac's time bubble crash and the Enterprise's beaming over... That, that the three events themselves create the, the Amalgam universe? Or am I thinking too hard? You're thinking too hard. Because I definitely disagree with the last part of what you said. Well, in the first couple issues, they were saying that, that that was the catalyst. But then this issue, they're saying that you know it was this other event. So I, I was just throwing out everything they've, they've right. well, given us so far to see which, which, one, which, which of them stick. Okay. Well, I'm thinking that obviously... It's Q coming into the past for some reason to honor a debt. Is, is that some kind of reference to something that happened in Next Gen, I'm wondering? Or maybe Voyager? Um, or maybe Deep Space Nine? I don't know. Ooh. But um, that would be kind of interesting to know because he does seem to go out of his way to say he went into the past briefly to pay a debt or take care of a debt or something. So it's right. like, okay. Uh, well, why why would Q feel he has has a debt to pay to anybody except maybe Picard, one of the few creatures that Q has respect for, uh, right. or or maybe maybe Janeway. He he liked Janeway too, but so obviously him going into the past somehow he becomes the genie in the bottle, mm-hmm. and is giving Vandar Savage uh, his wishes. And right. he can't get out of the bottle, or in this case, a sphere. Now, right. how, how, again, how could Vandar the Stone do this? 
I have no idea, but that's what they seem to be. They, they seem to be trying to do an analogy kind of thing with that. I don't know right. if analogy is the right word or not, but somehow right. Q has become his genie in the bottle or in the sphere. Right. And is giving him out of thin air, obviously whatever technology he wants. Right. So that being said, I mean, so I guess Q can't recommend anything, right? He, but he does have to follow all of Vandar's wishes. Apparently. Yeah. So the, the all right. So me just always trying to make things fit. The the only thing I could think of that that could trap Q maybe in this scenario, and and it's a stretch. So bear with me. Is that what if Q shows up? either at the same time or right around the same time that this meteorite hit earth to give vandal savage his powers and maybe there was some property in the in the meteor meteorite that somehow trapped q i don't know but that's the only time that i can think of that vandal savage would have had access to something other than sticks and stones <laughs> um, so there was some sort of magical property in the the rock itself that gave him his powers. So, what if there was something also in there that somehow trapped Q? Well, that's a better explanation than I came up with, which is basically no explanation at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, whatever magical powers can make somebody live forever, yeah, maybe it's got the magical powers to trap Q. I don't know. Right. That's 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 a decent explanation there, Donovan. Yeah, I try. Yeah. yeah. And when you far fetched, mind you, yeah. but still, at least it's something. Well, when you see Q in the bubble, uh, doesn't it look like it's always on a, a, a rock platform? There's like some sort of rock type thing underneath him. So I, I was kind of wondering if maybe well, me, that was supposed to be. Let me go back and look at that again. Uh, that, if that was supposed to be the meteorite. Huh. That is a very interesting theory. But yeah. why would it uh, trap him in there naked and all that stuff? It doesn't quite match, but... No, but at least it's something. Right. I agree. Good point. Okay. So, moving on. Mm-hmm. we got to talk about the trophy room. Maybe my favorite part of the book. Oh, it's my favorite part of the book. Uh, although there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good things in this issue. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is great. But God, look at that. Oh, that that is a science fiction fanboy's dream come true. So the artist and probably the author, um, maybe a combination of both of them, had a field day with this 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 spread. Right. So they they basically took what all the all the possible time machines that we've seen in in pop culture and uh-huh. put them on this on this page and some of them are pretty obscure and and i'll be honest there's maybe two of them that i still can't figure out where they came from yeah but uh would you like to kind of go through them and see who's who and what's what sure go ahead um so where do you want to start the left or left. The right? let's well we're from the west let's go left to right all right so right underneath the dais or the uh, little platform that the crew's on the the very first one on the left is a stone pillar with some like moss growing around it, and you know what that one is, Ken? Uh yeah, that's the uh, the master's TARDIS. The master's TARDIS, right? So it's a and column. It's a it's like a, a marble column or something, right? Uh, I forget the episode. It was the the one where he regenerated into um, the, whoever the main classic 
Tom Baker one. You always think of yeah, yeah. Now so, he he is the quintessential master for me. Right, right. Yeah. Anytime anybody thinks of the master, that's that's usually who they're thinking of because right. he ran through the rest of the show. All right, so then right to the right of that, it looks like a. Or do you want to go down? Well, let's yeah, yeah let's yeah let's let's go down. I mean, since we're in the uh, in the right. realm of Doctor Who. Right, a blue box with a red light on top. Uh huh. Says police box at the top. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't see the lettering, but right. it's very clear what that is. It's the right. Doctor's TARDIS. It's the Doctor's. So they're they're insinuating that Savage, whatever it is you you want to call him, Flint, was able to trap the Doctor and the Master. It's like I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But it's pretty cool. It's there. Yeah, no, I really like it. Yeah. But I mean, I guess, I guess if uh, Q's telling him that time travelers are showing up, they definitely have the advantage. They have the advantage. Come on, it's a doctor. Come on, he always gets out of things like that. Right. Okay. So, right. so what's next? Um. Okay, let's keep going down. So there's a phone booth. Okay, right. phone booth. So that's Bill and Ted's ex- excellent adventure, right? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yep. Okay. So that, you know, not one of my favorite movies in the world, but you know, yeah, fine, good. That's cool. Right, and it's kind of cool that it's set next to the TARDIS because the joke in the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is that the tar the phone booth is smaller on the inside. So <laughs> even, even when it's just Bill and Ted in there, they they purposely made it so that you know those two actors couldn't really fit inside uh-huh. once they got inside they always really played up how small it was right. so i i always thought that was funny nice yeah. little nod to the doctor exactly okay so you'll have to explain the thing that kind of looks like a golden dakta or knife or something whatever that is cuz I, I i don't know what that is yeah i don't know for sure i'm thinking that it's the um the video game prince of persia ah uh, there's a uh, dagger that has the sands of time in it. So if if he ever dies or whatever, because it's a very hard game, it would basically turn back time, and then you would just go back to like right before you died to try to get out of whatever Ew. killed you. Very cool. I'm thinking that's what it is, but I don't know for sure. Right. Okay. All right. So what's next? Well, I guess my turn. There's a, a large black ring that's oriented vertically. So it's 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 up in the air and it's pretty tall and it's got these these glowing chevrons around it spaced evenly and it's got to be the Stargate. Love love the Stargate movie and the T. I like the I like the TV show even better. Great right. TV now, show. Is the Stargate really a time machine or is it more of a time or a more of a portal? It's a portal to different places. It was it was. I've never seen it used as a time machine. Although, can't you see them having an episode where, oh, I don't know, lightning hits it or something, but somehow it turns into a time machine. Who knows? Uh, I do not remember ever seeing an episode like that in any of the offshoots of Stargate. Um, But it could have happened, and I won't claim to have seen every episode. Although I've seen most of them. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of odd that it's here. Not typically a time machine. But I love seeing it. And my, I was a little sad to see that there, because it's you know a very big portal looking thing, and I mean spoiler alert, nowhere on this page is the Guardian of Forever, which is also a similar shaped 
ring. Right. Uh, so I would have really liked to have seen the Guardian of Forever. So I don't know why they didn't put it in here. Because it's they, well, like the biggest Star Trek time machine there is. Right. However, can you – I mean it's also very powerful. So I could see Vandar, the Conqueror, whatever, uh, having – Exactly. Right. And it doesn't actually move on to Earth. And, and all of these could show up on Earth at some point. Well, yeah. Uh, there's lots of Stargates all over the universe. So I guess maybe that makes sense. See, a lot of these are, are vehicles. So right. it makes sense why they would be here. But some of these things are not vehicles. They don't go moving around. Like, sure. for example, there's the time tunnel. At least I believe it's the time tunnel. Oh, you're jumping around. I know, I know, but I wanted to mention it. So, <laughs> and it looks like the time tunnel from the early 1960s TV show, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, well, thoroughly. It, it was good. Uh, it was a good, good show. And the first episode took place on the Titanic. It was kind of cool. Hmm. But that thing doesn't move around. It's like in it's like it's like in a government installation, just like the Stargate was when they found it and you know brought it to Cheyenne Mountain. So, right. um, so those two are a little odd. But definitely, the time tunnel is very much a time traveling device, assuming that that truly is the time tunnel from the '60s, as opposed to the one from the Austin second Austin Powers movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's from the time yeah. tunnel. All right, so right above the portal for um, Stargate and the, the dagger, there is a treadmill. <laughs> a run-of-the-mill-looking treadmill. Maybe a little more beefy than what you, you we're used to seeing nowadays. Yeah, more controls and, on it, probably. And this I loved seeing because it is the cosmic treadmill that the Flash uses to move through time in the comic books. The cosmic treadmill. The <laughs> Silver Age type era. <laughs> okay, I gotta tell you. I had no idea what that was. Uh, absolutely not. I, I'm not familiar enough, unfortunately, with the Flash to know it's the cosmic treadmill. Right. Now, now mind you, it, okay, so Flash, okay, it, it makes sense. He's, you know, you'd need a beefy uh, treadmill for the Flash, and, and that can take you into between his speedster power and the treadmill's properties. It can take you into the past. Okay, fine. Right. It, but it's a little ridiculous when you first look at it. Maybe a little. <laughs> <laughs> but if you know right. the backstory, it makes it it makes a lot more sense. Right. So speaking of ridiculous, the one above the time or the one above the cosmic treadmill is maybe the most ridiculous and, uh, <laughs> and the biggest surprise uh that it made the made the list. Exactly. It's a little wooden deck looking thing with maybe a pool of water or something in the yep. center. Which, obviously, is the hot tub time machine. The hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to have a ridiculous time machine, right. that's it. All right, and then to the right of that, one of the only ones that I can't quite figure out. So it's a little, almost looks like a little flying saucer looking thing. You like can't a, figure that out? No, nah, what is it? Oh, 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 I think we may have to... Yeah, at least temporarily take away your Star Trek fanboy card for not recognizing that. Of course, oh, you're more of a... Yeah! Now, mind you, it's Taws and not TNG or Deep Space Nine, which is your first loves. Sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that that's from, I think it was season one episode, The Alternative Factor. Huh. So that was the... That was the time ship 
that Lazarus used. Have you ever seen that episode? I'm sure I've seen it. It's not okay. jumping out at me. Okay. Yeah. So I forgot the name of the the actor, but he's a very he's he's a recognizable actor from the '60s. Uh, he starred in uh, Here Comes the Brides. I forgot the actor's name, but his name was Lazarus, and he was messing around with time. Um, mm. And it was actually waves of time distortion which brought the Enterprise to this planet where his ship was and he was. So, huh. yeah, definitely a time machine. And that was called what? What was it called? The, alter- the Alternative Factor. Alternative Factor, okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So, yeah, and you'll, rec- you'll probably recognize the actor. Right. Um, but, but that actor is one of those people that, like, I don't think he ever got out of the 60s. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think I – you see him in things here and there, but I don't remember ever seeing him in, any, in anything past the 60s. Ah, cool. Yeah. All right. Okay, so trying to speed things up a little bit because uh, we could spend probably you know half of a <laughs> half of the, uh, the the episode just on this page. There, right. there's there's like a pool of water that no, appears. No, I have no idea what that is. It looks a little bit like um, the Lazarus Pit, right? It looks like the Lazarus Pit or the thing that Tasha Yar died in. Oh, the pool of goo, but that wasn't time. No, that was black. Like, what, that was all black, right? Okay, yeah, this skin is kind of, of evil, blue kind of thing. Yeah, so, so it looks like light in it, so it could be yeah, something. yeah. So don't know what that is. In front of that, there's there's a thing that almost looks like a a triangle, triangular kind of sort of. Kind it of looks like, like stairs. Tholianship, almost a tholian ship. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah a little maybe. triangle, maybe yeah. crystal, whatever. Yep. Yeah. So what is that? I have no idea. Uh, there's uh-huh. no markings on it. And there's no window that you can see. I mean, right. it, it, it almost looks like it's a platform to walk up into a spaceship. <laughs> uh, so I have no idea what it is. Do you know? Nope. Okay. All right. And then to the right of that is some little, um, like, circular things on some little Pedestals. platforms. And uh, uh, we think maybe that is the Atavatron, which ooh. was in You got the, the name episode. of it. Yeah, it's in the episode uh, All Our Yesterdays. Right. I won't take ownership of uh figuring that one out. That was actually That was Chris Christopher from last uh right. uh last episode. Right. A good call too, cuz I did not. So it was kind of like some kind of a a reader into the past, right? You'd have little discs or something that you take out of the library and you'd put it in this reader thing and right. it and would then it'd create a portal that you could jump through or whatever. Right. Right, 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 right. Almost like the Guardian of Forever a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Only you got these like library discs and stuff instead of just a voice interface. Right. Yes, yes. So to the right of that, and uh, is a bubble-looking thing. Mm-hmm. We assume this is the time bubble that Brainiac's been flying around in the last couple issues. Yeah, which is interesting because it was smashed and it was pretty smashed up. Uh, you know, in the first issue when they came crashing down, but it definitely does look like their uh, their time bubble thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to the right of that, your favorite? I don't know if it's my favorite, but yeah, it's uh, it's Doc Brown's DeLorean. There you go. Uh, complete with a Mr. Fusion, I think. Yep, Mr. Fusion. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool they have that on there. Right, and to the left of the time bubble is another Star Trek reference. It's the Aeon, Eon, A-E-O-N, however you pronounce it, which was uh, Captain Braxton's time ship from uh, the Voyager episode. 
Futures okay. End and Future Ends Part 2. Oh, so you did look that up. Okay. Yeah. Because last time we didn't know what that was. Okay. Right. Okay, cool. Okay, so that is a smaller ship that's on the um, Relativity? No, I think it's just its own ship. Oh, really? Hmm. But yeah, it's about the size of a shuttlecraft type thing. It's yeah. a Delta Flyer-esque size. Yeah. It's very cool looking. I like the yeah. look. Yep. All right. Above that and to the left is the time tunnel that we talked about I earlier. I said before. Yep. Uh, to the right of that is something that looks like a Captain Nemo type ship with fins and a, a satellite dish on it. I did not know what this one was. Yeah. It, it kind of it like if the Nautilus had a shuttlecraft, that would be it. That's right. The Nautilus is shuttlecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. So Ken speculates that maybe this was like the uh, an artist's rendition way back when of what the H.G. Um, Wells time machine would have looked like just based on the, the book itself. Yeah, that's the best I, I can come up with. But I could, not, I could not find anything that disproved that or proved it. So Right, and we, and we didn't find that picture anyplace else. So Not from lack of trying. No, we looked around a bit. So we if anybody out there happened to know what that is, let us oh, know. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, and the pool. We would really like to know what those two are. Yeah. All right. To the right of that is the classic H.G. Wells time machine. Right from the uh, from the Rod Taylor movie. Was that early sixties? Uh, right or and late fifties? I don't know. Also, the um, the new version with Guy Pierce used the same type ship, so it actually looks like that that time machine. Right. Well. Cool. And then also there was that the one with Malcolm McDowell. Where he played oh, Wells, time after back. time. Yeah, when he fought or not. the Ripper. Was that time after time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. It. Yeah, and his ship kind of looked like that too, I think. That's a good point. What? Mm. They didn't all use the same same look, did they? Okay, I think, maybe. I think, they, did. I think they, were, they were going for consistency, and I like that. Yeah, well, it's a great design. That George Pal did the special effects on, on the original movie? I do not know. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, the main point is classic design. Why mess with perfection? Right. Has one of the best parts in Gremlins. Do you remember Gremlins the movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a part where the dad uh, is calling from some convention that he's at, an inventor's convention. And he's just talking on the phone. Uh-huh. And then in the background, you see Robbie the robot from uh, – or maybe it's just robot from Lost in Space, just kind of like walking as if that was an invention. But also in the background, you can see – this time machine just sitting right. back there and some guys like sitting on it and then you know he he's talking to the, the kid from home and then the camera pans over to the kid at home while he's saying something and then it comes back to the dad and now the machine's gone and in the background everybody's just like losing it like freaking out that something happened but it happened in between cuts of the conversation that you that it was just this great little Easter egg to throw in the Gremlins that right. uh, that, that the time machine was real. <laughs> That's great. And by the way, that time machine to the left of the one we both know what it is, that mm-hmm. is the H.G. Wells time machine from time after time. I just looked it up. Ah, that the one with the weird fins? Exactly. Ah. And it's it's got the dish, same dish, same two-person compartment. Yeah, that's it. Okay, we got another one. It's fantastic. Good job. Yes. Yeah, you know, um, I, I did not since yeah, I couldn't. You're re- right. I, I looked it up since yeah, I wow. couldn't recall what the time machine looked like in Time After Time. Which, by the way, I love that movie. 
but I haven't seen it in a long time. But when it came out, I really liked it. Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's that actor uh, who's been in Star Trek all the time? The oh, uh, Steenburgen? Mary Steenburgen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary Steenburgen and David Warner. David Warner, that's it. God, he's great. David Warner is great. And, of course, as we've seen before, he's been in Star Trek tons of times. Right. All right, so on this page, one more time machine, and we're going to have a disagreement on it. It's a little rocket-looking ship, and I think that it's the uh, the time rocket from Time Cop. Oh, Time Cop. Okay. Well, and you think it's what? I have no idea what it is. Oh, I thought you had you had an idea of what it was. Like the. Okay. Well, then never mind. Then it's the Time well, Cop. I, one. I don't remember that. Okay. All right. So then. We'll oh, go so with that's the time. Ti- that's the Time Cop one. Okay. I think it is. Well, I'm. I'm. Trying to look at right now. I'm looking at photos of Time Cop, and so far they just keep on showing Van Dam. Uh, Come on, do, show the ship. Show the ship. Do time time sled. I thought that's what you were, you thought it was. Time maybe sled. Okay. Do a search for time sled on start. Um, time sled. Uh, time cop or time cop sled. Whatever. Um. Okay. I see one photo with him sitting in the time chair kind of thing. Hmm. But there's no top on it. Right. Do us. Oh, do, yeah. Okay. That I think you're right. So this particular photo shows Van Damme like strapped into this thing. But uh-huh. the whole top is like come up like, like the uh, the hood on a, on a car. Right. But I can see the edge of the top that's come up on, in the photo. And it's got those little, um, those little slanted uh, black right. uh, square kind of things. And that's the same thing I see. You're right. Time cop. Yeah, it even has the number four, and the and the time cop sled had the level four on there. Ah, okay. So, yep, definitely it. Time cool. cop, time sled. Oh, there it is. Yeah, perfect. Okay, I think we've we've seen all of them almost. We've seen them all. Uh, the that middle thing, the pool thing. Well, the pool thing, and also that thing with oh, the, the, that looks like steps. the ramp. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, everybody listening. That's Tell right. us what the pool is. Tell us what the steps are. Yes. Okay. Okay. We better get going. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that took a chunk of time, but I think it was well worth it. Yeah, it was. It was fun. Okay. I, one last thing I want to mention about this one, and then right. I'm done. Right. It was very cool how there was a cat person serving at Vandar's feast, Emperor Vandar's feast. It looked very reminiscent of MRS. Right. Maybe. So I mean, he's taken over the dominion and everything. So it, it exactly to take over her planet too. Exactly. So that was kind of a, a cool little kind of sort of cameo, right? Not saying that it was MRS, but one of her people, right? And there's some cat people from DC, so it could be them too. Hmm? Okay. I'm thinking you're probably right. Okay. All right. Shall we move on? Please. All right, so issue number six came out March of 2012. Uh, all the writing and art staff is the same, with the exception of letters are by Chris Moy- Moiray this time. All right, so uh, there's three covers that I could find. Cover A shows the top part of the page is the main Starfleet crew, all in profile, kind of looking over to the uh, to the right hand of the page. Uh, the bottom half shows dozens of various legionnaires flying through space. 
and we can see the earth and like a little cutout that shows like the legionnaire headquarters kind of inset in the page too a little out, out of character or out of place for that but overall good looking picture cover b shows a uh it's kind of an abstract looking cover um doesn't look like real people at all but it's you could tell what it is it's like the outlines of ahura shadow lass and saturn girl and then behind that you can kind of see this uh depiction of the enterprise also interesting cover the ri cover is a painting which looks like a movie poster type thing uh has various headshots of kirk cosmic boy spock brainiac um and they're all kind of arranged in a circular fashion and then inside that we see mccoy ahura chameleon boy shadowless and scotty uh standing on like maybe a rock or something and then in the middle of the page we see saturn girl and lightning lab flying up into the sky straight up and then we see the enterprise in the top left hand corner the top left hand corner behind cosmic boy's shoulder so the story has Kirk, Chameleon Boy, and Lightning Lad being tortured in the agony booths. The Emperor is being told that these three might not survive much longer um, because they're being questioned and holding back the information. Unfazed, the Emperor says that if they die, they will just start questioning the next three prisoners, which are Sulu, Ahura, and Shadowlass. Back in the distant past... The other team has made contact with the being in the sphere, and it turns out to be Q. Q is unable to tell them exactly how to free him. But Spock speculates that they can't, he can't tell them, but perhaps he can answer questions if they ask. Q is pleased that they've figured out this loophole. Vandal Savage arrives before too many questions can be answered. Back in the 23rd century... Kirk is able to get under Flint's skin by stating that he's only as smart as the caveman he started off as. Back in the past, a battle ensues. Spock and Brainiac are safe behind a force field while they work out with Q on how to free him. The others use their powers and a well-placed hypospray to repel the caveman and knock out Vandal Savage. In the future, Flint uses this time to brag about how he shaped the universe into the way he wished it. Back in the past, Spock and Brainiac finally figure out how to free Q. They do it by ordering him to free himself. It seems that when Vandal Savage captured Q, he commanded Q that he could not follow anyone's instructions that was on Earth. No one on Earth, it was the term. Since Spock and Brainiac are both aliens and they're from the future, they were not on Earth and they did not fall under this limitation. So therefore, it works, and Q is free. Back in the future, Q arrives to let Flint of this time know that he is free and that the gig is up. He then returns the two universes back to normal, returning the Legionnaires back into their time bubble in limbo, and the Enterprise crew back on Earth, which is where they were trying to beam to in the first place. Later, on a planet called Hallberg 917G, an the old man Flint is painting when a man in a billowing coat arrives. Flint is surprised to see the man that looks like a cross between Q and Trelane. Q is surprised to find that this Flint slash Vandal is a peaceful man mourning the loss of a loved one. Q says that this gives him hope for mankind in all the universes. 
Flint asks about the other universes, and Q states that there's only one yesterday, but there are countless tomorrows. And then we get a, pa a page of both the Star Trek and the DC universe, and it's over. The end. <laughs> da 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 da. Cool. Okay, so a little bit anticlimactic, <laughs> but bit. it was cool. I, I liked it. I, I love the Q wit, right? So especially at the very part end where where Q is explaining, oh, now that I'm free, he starts talking about paradoxes, and he says, oh, here comes that paradox now, and then everything gets reset. I think that was really funny. I like that. That's so Q, right? Of course, the idea that everything resets so nobody remembers anything is uh, is kind of cool. Oh, that's so they don't they don't remember anything. No, they don't know anything. Either team. And what's interesting is in that when Kirk and company are back on San Francisco, heading over the Starfleet Academy for the for right. the speech and stuff for the speech, right? I'm not sure, but it almost looks like Q's hanging out there on the left in a red shirt. I thought that too. Just kind of. And then Spock kind of gives him a look. Yeah, but Spock's looking over at him. <laughs> so if that is supposed to be Q, and I think it is, that's kind of cool. And how Spock maybe kind of remembers. Uh-huh. Although, yeah, right. Because Spock never met Q, at least in the normal continuity. Right. But I guess there's Expanded Universe. There's mm. uh, um, Oh, that Spock versus Q book. Right. And there's also <laughs> been – there was also one or two things where Delancey and Nimoy got together. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just like them riffing off each other. I exactly. don't think that's considered canon. Well, no, but <laughs> it's kind of cool. I like sure. it. Sure. Anyway, that's a good audiobook. Yeah, they're like supposedly like playing chess or something and – or, or I, I don't remember. Well, I, I think there's it's been actually a long time since I re listened to that. Yeah, I think there's actually been a real novel about that, not just mm. the perform, not just the live performance thing that the two oh. actors did. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, cool. So they went all over the. They, they went back and forth all over the place with the six issues. They had some great guest stars from both franchises. Mm -hmm. I thought brought together quite nicely for the story. I think a, a, a very good uh, job of writing. Not perfect, but a very good job of writing, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, my only kind of like, yeah, I wish they would have done it a little different was the Q thing. Uh, yeah. It would have been better, I think, that if they could have somehow had a, an amalgam of Q and somebody else hmm. from the DC universe. I mean, because there's, there's a lot of all-powerful Q-like characters in in the DC universe too, where right. they could have merged them in some way, oh. but, or had them pitted against each other instead of just Vandal Savage just somehow trapping him. So, okay. Anyways, that's possible. Well, it, okay. So in that vein of like other ways that the the story could have been quite different, my question is, why do we have uh, Taws Star Trek in here? Uh, why not Picard? Next gen, instead of Kirk and company, that's certainly more fitting with Q. Um, right. So I'm just kind of wondering, they could have had 
they could have had their pick of which Star Trek team to include in this, but they selected Taws. And they, they selected classic Taws, not, well, they, they didn't use the reboot people. Right. So I just wonder why they came to that decision. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that at the time, you know, it's 2011, so this, the whole Star Trek movie was coming out. Mm-hmm. So I would think that maybe they were riding the the fan wave of uh, Star mm-hmm. Trek. So they were the more popular. They were the more popular from the standpoint of either classic or the reboot, as opposed to next gen or anything that came later on TV. Okay, right. that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Well, and the the whole Flint thing. I mean, if it was if it was uh, mm-hmm. Picard, he wouldn't know who Flint was. No. That's true. That's true. And we haven't seen that yet in the reboot, so – and Wouldn't hopefully awesome we won't. If, if they get uh, the guy who plays Vandal Savage to play Flint in ah! <laughs> capacity of some sort? In the, the second Beyond movie or the, the next one? Right. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be awesome, but most people would not know. <laughs> they wouldn't get it. <laughs> so uh, as far as Flint goes um, – you know he's supposed to have been Da Vinci and and mm-hmm. all these other uh, great people from history. Yep. You know, kind of the same way. You know, uh, Vandal's also supposed to be Genghis Khan and all these other rulers. All the nasty and stuff. people. Right. But uh, in uh, in Voyager, there's there's an episode where uh, Janeway meets Da Vinci. Uh, uh-huh. You know, in the hol- holodeck. Okay. And it was supposed to be like an ongoing thing. They wanted to create a a character where Janeway could like bounce ideas off of. So they mm-hmm. were like, "Well, she'll just have this Da Vinci thing, right? This okay. Da Vinci program going, and we'll use it." It didn't really work out. I don't know why. I guess because it's kind of hokey. Mm-hmm. But they only did it like once or twice, and then they kind of phased it out. But, anyways, in in one of the episodes, she mentions that oh, uh, Picard, um, Captain Kirk once said that he met. The real Da Vinci, uh huh. And obviously, I think that's supposed to be a nod to oh, uh, cool. He, he meeting Flint, right, right, right. Yep. And then I read somewhere that uh, Flint was supposed to be in season five of Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, really? <laughs> Popping yeah, up they in were some going, capacity, right? And that he was going to then that was it was going to kind of at the end allude to him going off and leaving Earth to. Uh, be by himself but that was going to be kind of uh the end of the story and then at the end of the story you'd be like oh it's that guy he'd <laughs> be using a different name he wouldn't be calling himself flint until maybe no. like the last scene or something like that right uh which i would have loved that would have been so good that would have been good so many things could have happened if we just had more seasons of enterprise right oh well so uh, I I often get things confused as far as books versus comic books go, you know, because it kind of in, – in my head, I can remember seeing these pictures, and uh, I just went through the comic books, and I couldn't find them. So it must have been in the novel. But Star Trek crossed over with um, uh, X-Men. Right. Yeah. And at the end of uh, X-Men, Star Trek The Next Generation um, – the Enterprise crew is zapped somewhere, right? Or, or the X-Men crew are zapped somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it says to be continued in the novel. Um, oh, right, yeah. It was written by Michael Jan Friedman. 
but in the in the novel q and the watcher which is a marvel character that's kind of like a q you know he can't interfere with things but he does have like godlike powers and right and, uh, come to find out they were kind of like working together to you know unofficially assist uh whatever it was that the X-Men and the, and the Star Trek crew had to team up with. I think it was like a huh. planet that was going through mutations and people were like killing their own because they were becoming mutants. And it was, it was, it was an okay book, but, um, but again, I thought it was kind of cool that they teamed up Q with a very powerful character from the Marvel universe to, to uh, bring these kind of things together. And, and I just wish this book would have kind of done the same thing. Okay. Okay. So that, that was an example that was supporting your uh, the idea you mentioned earlier. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Okay. Right. Well, I got to say, uh, as we were going through and enjoying this, I was actually thinking to myself, this is a pretty good example of a crossover. Um, there's some good meaty stuff going on, and they're definitely using well from, 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 from both universes. Um, and I was just thinking to myself how weak – Especially that one um, crossover was with uh, X-Men. Right. I just didn't think they were that good. And especially that one, with, the one with Gary Mitchell. I, I didn't think that right. was that good. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, the Gary Mitchell one I thought was okay, but it was a, li- a little, I don't know, kind of all over the place. Yeah. Well, I wasn't incredibly crazy about either one of the crossovers. The x-men star trek crossovers there were two right yeah yep yep right there was the next generation and an original series okay it was okay but not incredibly crazy about them right no i really like this one and i really like the green lantern one um the green lantern one being you know its own little universe where this one at least tries to set set itself up in both the uh in the main main taz and the main dc universe right and then at the end it's they're nicely put back into their own continuities. So right. That was good. Which is something that was awkward about <laughs> the Green Lantern one. But obviously right. it was its own dimension, not any of the ones that we're familiar with. And because we read them out of order, I mean, because, you know, when we were reading the Green Lantern one, we thought that that's how it was going to end. Somehow it's all going to fix itself. The DC universe is going to be put back into normal. Right. And the the Taz universe is going to be. They'd have some reset button like they had here, but I'm glad they, you know, now that, now that we read this one, which came out before that one, Mm -hmm. if we would have read them in order of publication date, we would have been like, Oh, they did it again. Exact same thing they did with the Legion of superheroes. Q came and fixed it all. Right. So it's kind of cool that they didn't go that route in that last, uh, that green lantern one. Yeah. They stuck with it. Yeah. I kind of like the loophole. That uh, that Vandal would have said, you can't follow anybody on Earth's questions or well, requests. You know, I, I'm, I thought it was very cool how Spock and Brainiac was using their cold logic to figure out the loophole. I thought that was cool. Um, and, I, and I guess it makes sense because they're both – I mean, Spock's definitely alien. Um, Brainiac, was, was he supposed to be uh, an alien robot? Yeah, he's an alien. Originally? Okay. Yeah. Not from Earth. Okay, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was... I guess ultimately the loophole that they did execute, I guess that was cool. But I just like how 
those guys are like using their cold logic to, uh, you know, to to undo the puzzle. I thought that was cool. Right. Yeah, and I liked um, I like that you know the the other two characters that are there, uh, Cosmic Boy and Saturn Girl, using their powers. It seems like Chekhov was just getting his butt kicked, um, but then uh, then McCoy out of nowhere shows up with a what's supposed to be a hypro spray, but really looks like a knife, and stabs it into Vandal Savage's shoulder. Didn't that look like a knife to you when you read it the first I time? I thought it was a hypo. It is a hypo, but when but it, it looked like, like a knife, being jabbed into his arm, I thought it was a knife. Hmm. I mean, does I the th- I thought I thought it was a hypo because he always that the good doctor always has his hypo available. Um, Oh yeah, that oh my god, that does look like taking that big fella. So obviously it is a hypo, but man, it looked like a knife. It it does look like a knife now that you mention it. Because I was shocked. I was like, McCoy just stabbed somebody. (laughs) That's not that's not McCoy. No, that isn't. But um. Is that supposed to be like a beam of light coming out of it as opposed to a silver blade? I think it's supposed to be whatever's at the end of the hypo thing. I don't know. Uh, Like I said, it looks weird. But it looks like it's stabbed into him. Yeah. Well, traditionally, if I recall correctly, and I think I do, McCoy's hypo was all silver, pretty much. And then with like a little red, like vial. Right. You know, put put at the end. But I don't remember it ever being gold. Which this thing's gold. Thing? It looks like it's got a hilt-looking thing, kind right. of. Well, yeah, yeah. It definitely looks like a, uh, the handle, the hilt, right? That's gold. Looks like it's gold on both sides. And then it looks like a silver blade. You're right. I did not notice that. But it's obviously the hypo. It's right. just not well drawn. Right. And I, I, I like the little uh, the curly cue, the golden curly cues around Savage's head. Oh, as he's being drugged? As he's being drugged and his eyes are getting kind of sleepy and he's like, oh, I'm a la la time. I like that. That's funny. <laughs> I think it's just the coloring. I think if they wouldn't have made that the hilt looking part look sil- uh, gold, then it right. would look pretty close to what it. Right. Yeah. Just odd. Well, was that a coloring mistake? I mean, yeah, it, I was, that couldn't have been on purpose, could it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. We weren't supposed to notice. Uh, I guess not. Okay, well, that's you know that's pretty much it. Uh, I, well, I, I think, I think the had, artwork. I know was you had very one good. more, Ken. I did. I you had one more. What I, Why what is I Q dressed as Trilling? Oh, we talked about it. Oh before. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is he dressed as Trilling in the end? I don't know. I I, I think that's basically artist's discretion <laughs> 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 because he never was Trilling ever. Nope. Um, I, I think, well, okay. So he's going back. No, no, he's, he's forward in time. He's where, uh, he's about where, um, Kirk met him, right? Or maybe even a little further. Maybe after. Yeah. Okay. Cause his outfit's a little bit more like it. Um, right. And the girl that's in the, underneath the sheet or whatever, you don't know if that's, uh, the robot. If, yeah, she looks like she's bald. So it might've been one of the, um, the prototypes that Kirk finds of of the girl, hmm. they were all under sheets. So there was like a bald one, and there was one with uh, brown hair or whatever. So I don't know if um, maybe this is right after the bald one and before Kirk meets him. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not said when in time this this 
this event this took place. place. Yeah. But I thought it was odd that Flint no remembers him. Does he? Which is an, he says, "Oh, it's you. You come back to seek your revenge at last." That's oh, right, says. right. Good point. And then I'm like, "You shouldn't remember anything." No, you should not remember anything. You're not Vandal Savage. You're Flint. Yep. Who's born way later? So that was that was the only thing I was like, eh, "Good point. Good point." Don't about that. It's all timey, wimey, wobbly. <laughs> but it's cool that he realizes um, that Q would have a, a bone to pick with him, right? Well, if if you want to think that he really is also Vandal Savage, which he's not, yeah, right. Well, okay, but it's a cool scene. Yes, I give you. It's a cool so, scene. So it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, but it's cool again that again uh, Q is he's cool. He was imprisoned for thousands of years, which is like a blink of an eye to him. But still, imprisoned for fi- thousands of years, meant to bend to the will of a lesser being. Uh, but when he comes back to him later, you know, he's very magnanimous. Right. Yeah, and it's unclear if he really was captured all those years or not. Oh, because of the paradox? Right. The time paradox that's, that undid everything? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Timey-wimey. Yep. All right. Anything else? Was there anything else I had that I forgot? Uh, I think that was it. Okay. 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 Cool. Okay. Overall, six great issues, I thought. Yes. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I Um, can't wait for the next crossover. Yeah. Crossovers are a bit risky. Sometimes they don't pan out very well, but this one panned out quite well. Right. As we're recording this, they just came out with the Planet of the Apes Tarzan crossover. Ah, which we're not doing. Which but not I, doing. I wouldn't mind reading that. But, uh, but you know, now that that's been opened up, maybe we'll get a Tarzan Star Trek crossover. Where they meet up with Johnny Weissmiller or something. <laughs> <sighs> I'll be honest. Of all the crossovers, uh, because right now there is a Batman 66 comic book series mm-hmm. and they've crossed over with other 60s tv shows mm-hmm. please oh please oh please do a s- classic taz batman 66 crossover <laughs> and it'd be all bright and campy like both of those shows were i mean they star trek wasn't campy but it was if you look at the footage they look very similar they're both using really odd colors you know this wall's pink why? Because it looks good on TV. You know, <laughs> both of them are guilty of that uh, that right. color scheme. So, I would really like to see that. Okay, cool. That that would be interesting. So, what I are you doing next, Donovan? We're going to go back to Volume One of DC Comics' run of Star Trek. Ah, are we getting towards the end? We're getting close. Yeah, because at some point they start going back and doing like TV era instead of movie era. There towards the very end, like they did the uh, the birth of David Marcus and stuff like that, which we've already covered oh. that one. But right. we're getting close to where they start jumping around in time. But we still got to get Bryce and Konar married off and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. All right, so we'll be back next week. Great, thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. 
All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.